0: Hey you, it's episode 23 of the Cincy Postcast, and this is a really fun one. I mean, one, we recorded this the evening of Transfer Deadline Day, where of course Matt Miazga signs with FC Cincinnati. If you listen to this on Friday, you will have hopefully seen the official announcement from the club, Uh, but that is actually what we talk about in part two. In part one, okay, we touched on the Miami game, but more talked about sort of What is Pat Noonan's style in this one? And in part three, we touched on briefly the Philadelphia Union match this weekend on Saturday. But all in all, a really, really fun episode. Hope you enjoy episode 23. On Joining me to discuss all of that and a little bit more, just, just a smidgen more, uh, we've got the usual crew. Uh, this is so good. We've got with us the Chief War Pig. Chief, are you still on the fire Chris Albright take that you had immediately following Miami?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know that that was me that had the fire Chris Albright take. It was certainly a person that was occupying my body and using my phone after about a dozen Coors Lights at a Greta Van Fleet concert. But... I don't know. That that who who is to say who that person really is? We'd have to get a philosopher in here to really identify who the person was. And to be fair, uh, the person the person who said that may or may not be me and also was saying that if Chris Albright sat on his hands through the remainder of the transfer window and as we're going to talk about that didn't happen. So it was a conditional threat and as anyone knows a conditional threat is not actually actionable in a court of law. So <laughs>
2: and if anybody's interested in the uh if if anybody's interested in like the ontological questions that the chief just (laughs) raised about whether you know you blackout drunk is the same person as you sober etc i highly recommend the television show (laughs) sevens on apple plus
0: (laughs) Uh, I never, I never thought of severance as an allegory for like alcoholism, but I'm, I'm here for it, so that works. Uh, and of course, that was the lovely voice of one Grayson Chalmers. Grayson, we got our nine our non-DP high-tam center back. How are we feeling tonight?
2: I got mixed feelings on oh, it to be honest. Oh, Jesus. Um, so, so I used to think. So under, under night camp, I thought, okay, we're like leaning hard into like kind of like a left-wing philosophy of running a team because we're not extracting any excess value <laughs> from our players. We're paying them, you know, exorbitant sum, sums of money and getting nothing in return. And I thought, well, that's that seems very, you know, noble and idealistic. Uh, but then I realized, you know, as we were, as we were losing players like a Tonga, Madunian, who we'll we'll talk about that later, but, and, you know, potentially more players and nobody's coming in. I thought, you know, maybe this is like the next step. Because if, if, like, employment is like exploitative (laughs) and it's a corrupt system, you don't defeat the system by, like, paying people more. You defeat the system by opting out, refusing to employ anybody at all. That's, that's a great point,
0: you know. Um, Uh, Buying is not rebelling, as Rage Against the Machine taught us, especially in a consumerist society. The only the only moving win is not to play. I'm into this.
1: Wasn't this the point <laughs> of wasn't this the point of war yeah, games so, too? That like they just played tic-tac-toe with the machine until it realized, yeah. yeah, the only way to win is not to play.
2: Yeah. And uh, you know, with with the news of of Miasga coming in, you know, we did get gain a center back, but We've also got another you know employee yeah. in the team,
0: yeah, and it's uh
2: right, so I have mixed feelings, but um, <laughs> as far as the product on the field and our and our playoff hopes, I, I could not be happy. <laughs> okay there it is there it is <laughs> so we we've,
1: oh we've got we've gone through uh, we've asked a philosophical question, we've asked an economics question. this is exciting. I like this. We're yeah. really hemorrhaging listeners right in the first couple minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Pride uh, Discord got my uh, Liberation Theology rant, so uh, the, the podcast listeners spared uh, for this evening. But uh, no, before we dive into the Transfer Deadline Day drama, we, we should probably touch on briefly. At this point, uh, Pod will be coming out uh, sometime late Thursday, early Friday, uh, so it's, it's very well in everybody's rearview mirror, but the inner miami match, the insane... 4-4 draw that was that match. Um, I thought it was interesting. The folks on Extra Time felt like we should feel good about ourselves getting a draw, having coming back uh, in that game. And I gotta tell you, didn't feel good. Didn't feel good watching that game. Didn't feel good experience nope. in that game. Um, yeah, I mean in this one uh, Chief, you, you had this point right before we hit record. Brenner two goals. Vasquez two goals. Like this is this is the MO for this team going forward, is it not?
1: I mean it's the dream, isn't it that you've got your DP striker playing like a DP striker, you've got Brandon yes. Vasquez still in ascendancy and I forget I think Meg Grayson may have made this point online somewhere this week, but the idea that like or no, it was the um in the heeled article where it's it's good to see that Vasquez's production isn't decreasing as Brenner comes back and that they aren't poaching goals from one another. They're force-multiplying. And part of what made this game so frustrating was that you get four goals from your two strikers. You should win that game 99 times out of 100. 100 times out of 100. And (laughs) it was another game where just this team, maybe this is the last thing they need to learn how to do, or this is the last demon they need to exercise from... The night camp era, but it's a team that still doesn't feel like it knows how to win. Where whatever it is, is that last little bit that like man management aspect of things that goes beyond talent, that goes beyond the personnel on the field, and just teaching this team as a team to want it more and to kill a game off in the last two, three, four minutes. Where just little things, booting the ball downfield a little more quickly getting to that last second ball, you know, all out defending in the box on a set piece at the end of the game, just do whatever it takes to not give that goal up. And that was what was so frustrating about it was that if you had to draw up a game plan for FC Cincinnati, you lean heavily on the offense that you've invested so much money into and then just get totally let down in those final minutes. And it's just like Matt Miazga can't get here a minute too soon.
0: Yeah, I, I think, too, uh, you think about that foul, the non-foul foul on Kubo at the end. Would a would a savvier team have noticed that and, like, started a fight or, like, surrounded the referee and demanded the the referee pay attention to what had happened? There, it felt like there was a lack of that killer instinct of, we need to drag this game all the way to the death. Um Grayson, I guess what's your what's your top line takeaway out of a four four draw?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, the
1: everything the chief said was correct. <laughs> How much did that hurt you to um, say just now?
0: <laughs> Print that one out, chief. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> um, but but you know it it's it stinks that you that the defense. Keeps doing the defense stuff, and it stinks that we keep having, I'm sorry, like clear gripes with officiating. Um, early in the game, there was a clean tackle by Blackett that they went to the monitor for. They spent more time looking at that clean tackle than they looked at either of the handballs against Nashville, which I will go to my grave saying that those were both handballs mm-hmm. that Nashville um, committed. Um, the penalty they called on Blackett was, you know, was their contact? Maybe based on how the rest of the game was called, was that a foul? No. Um, I mean, you look no further than the side by side that Joseph Meme put out yeah. on a uh, put out on Twitter, right? Um, if they called either the foul uh, by Higuain on Kubo or the fact that Higuain kicked the ball out of bounds, it should have been a corner. Um, either one of those, we, clean, we, we close out the game. It gives us another you know twenty thirty seconds with the ball, versus you know Miami getting to go yep. right away. Um, and I think that Higuain's reaction to tackling Kubo, kicking the ball out of bounds, and then immediately grabbing the ball and running over to the to the goal kick, knowing that the ref wasn't going to call either yep. of those against Miami shows yeah. you that people know like he I mean, how many knew times you watch a game
1: call? where the guy playing hold up on the back line gets trucked by the defender the 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 person trying to win the ball back at the death and it gets blown for a foul that's that's the fact that you were in the Cuba was in that position that's a courtesy call you get every time I can't remember yep. the last time the player that was in better position for the ball that there's contact made and part of this also is that Kubo's got to go down. Like he's got to fall yes. down in that situation. And that's like that's one of those things that people hate about soccer that people fall down and they they roll around and they make a meal out of it. But you've got to go down there. It's just soccer 101, but even still, that call gets made against against us every single time when we're trying to win the ball back for a final push or whatever. They're going to blow the whistle and the game is going to be over. We're not going to get that last possession. And it's one of those things with the officiating. We're just getting fucking old. It's getting old every game yeah. that not only don't we get the big calls against us, like the handballs that you were talking about, Grayson, we don't even get the fucking routine calls against us. Like That's a routine right. call. And it's like at some point something has to give where somebody it, – it, I thought it was going to happen when Lucho called the officiating out and called attention to it. I thought that mm-hmm. was what was going to change things. At this point, I don't know what's going to fucking change things. I don't. It's just, it's bad and it stays bad. It shows you when you call them out, it shows you when you call them out, yep.
2: they just come yep. after you. Right? I mean, they responded by uh, giving, giving Lucho that long uh, that long suspension. Um, but moving on from the refs, it's, it's really annoying that Higuain scored three yes. goals. Because... <laughs> He's been he's been he's been kind of yeah. a punchline in MLS. I mean, obviously, obviously he's a good player. Obviously he's got plenty of talent to play in the league. But like the fact that he's competing for minutes on Miami, the fact that he you know seems very inconsistent and kind of uninterested a lot of the time um, is part of like the Miami yeah. joke, you know. But the only team that can't make the joke, yeah, is us. He, he does very because well against us. He has yes. seven goals. He has seven goals in MLS against FC Cincinnati. Um, Just awful. He has 20 in his whole MLS right. career.
0: You take FC Cincinnati um, out of the equation, and he's been an abysmal failure argument for one of the worst DPs of all time, given who he is.
2: Yeah. And he's got seven goals this year. Four of them are against the <laughs> FC Cincinnati. I mean, uh, man, it's it's really yeah. frustrating, and it would, and I know that there's lots of reasons for it. We'll talk about it, but not getting you know Miazga in sooner. I'm not saying it was possible. Right. I'm not saying I, you know whatever, but just not having that quality of player in the team um, until what 11 games left in the season, maybe nine or ten games I'll, before he's I'll playing. hold, off
1: on, I'll hold really, off on my really team really talk about the transfer window on that. But my, 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 the other thing yeah, that just, yeah. like, is the overarching theme of this team for the last couple weeks, and just want to get your take on it. This is the unluckiest team to be riding the playoff line. Like, has there been a single moment, other than maybe like that Minnesota game, where they pulled one back at the, re- at the very end? This team doesn't get lucky fucking breaks at all. But there is rare where the ball bounces just right or someone does something stupid and commits a stupid penalty that results in us getting an easy chance. This team, every break that you look at when you watch a game seems to go the other way. And it's almost a miracle that this team is still... Drawing up opposing teams when it just seems like the ball always bounces the wrong way for FC Cincinnati, and they somehow seem to overcome that. They overcome bad officiating. They've overcome yeah. you know the the shitty contracts that were on this team to start. They've overcome a hellacious home record where they can't play at home for whatever reason. They've overcome just barrels of nonsense that the league has thrown at them as a result of this process over the last couple of years. And it's just like, I, I watch this, and it's like, oh yeah, of course, Iguain goes off against FC Cincinnati. Why wouldn't he? Everything else fucking goes wrong, and yet somehow we're still talking about this team as if, okay, well, maybe if they turn it around right now and they, you know, start turning a few of these draws into wins, that they are still riding the playoff line. It's it's almost, it's almost comical the number of things that have gone wrong. Yet here we still find ourselves right now, kind of in the thick of it.
2: Yeah. I have no idea how Miami's fourth goal went in.
0: <laughs> I know. <Like. laughs> it was a hell of a strike. It was one of those that... Uh, yeah. It's annoying how good the goal was because it's hard to get too mad at it. Like, I really wish it was blatantly somebody's fault. And sure, Barial could have cleared it better. Sure, he could have been closed down faster. But, I mean, it was a, it was a goddamn banger. <laughs> There's not much yeah. you could do about that. <laughs>
1: And you and you knew as soon you knew as soon as they took that corner they were scoring too. I don't know, maybe that was just oh, me. Yeah. That like it was as soon as they yeah. as soon as the ball went to the corner, I was like, well, we're fucked.
0: Yeah, you knew they were going to at least see that that play out. But uh, no, chief, to your point, I, I was thinking that too. The the team being unlucky, I always felt that way about the team last year as well. That on top of being a bad team, they were also a supremely unlucky team, but I did, it did remind me of the one moment and I believe it was last year, they did get lucky and it involved Gonzalo Higuain again when Higuain's ass blocked a goal on the line and I don't know if you guys remember that, I do remember it It's one that. of the great yeah. moments, <laughs> that's the one lucky break yeah. I can really remember in two years, <laughs> But we, we still did. lost that game. Thanks to Breck Shea, which, of course, it was fucking Breck Shea
2: that scored against us. Well, thanks to thanks to Jeff Cameron's back That's passes. True, yeah. But that's
1: another but, um, game I was very drunk at.
2: Another thing about about I guess something about something about luck is, yeah, last year's team. I agree. I think the statistics the statistics bore out that they were like the worst team in MLS, but but not by quite the margin right. that. That the table showed. Um, But they didn't do anything to create any luck. You know, like they weren't... They were playing around with the ball too much, not really doing anything threatening. And this year, at least, you know, they're going to the goal, right? They're trying to create chances. They're trying to get the ball in the box. They're just trying to get... They're getting into positions where breaks, you know, not always are... Falling their way, but at least they're in a position where there's a break that might fall your and the,
1: way. There. The, what's really, yeah. what's really nice to see with the team too is, and it, it happened. You saw that on display in this game is that they're not only good at finishing, but they're good at creating. In that, like Barial had some sublime balls that he played in this game, to where I, I put it out there online. And I, I don't, I don't know how you shy away from this at this point. That it, it's very hard to to drop Barial from the from the eleven for any reason right now. Like he is playing with confidence. He I think he is a bit of a liability tracking back on defense, but you know that's just a total team effort on that. But Barial and Acosta being together on the field, and Brenner and Vasquez clicking with the two of them, it, it just makes the defensive miscues so much harder to to deal with because you're getting that level of offensive production, that level of offensive threat to then leak every one of those goals out the back on the other side just sucks, but they are dangerous and they are creating opportunities at all times during these games. There's not that, you know, all oh, the offense goes to sleep for 45 50 minutes of the game. They're dangerous at all times now. It's just they they just need to they need to be able to see these games out when they get a lead and they need they need to understand how to play a little better when they're winning. And I understand they weren't winning for a long stretch of this game. Cause what they scored in like the 85th minute to finally take the lead. I think 86 minutes, something like that. But yeah, yeah. But if there's a consistency to this team and I don't know how you fix it. Um, and it's been this way for a while is that they just don't, they don't have a game plan or they don't execute their game plan. Well, when they're up and it's kind of the same thing as like in the times when they've been up a man, they really don't know what to do either. And it's so, I don't know if it's a, it's an issue of just, it's something they need to work on in the training ground more. But just what is your, it's almost like in, in NF, the NFL, your, your five minute offense, you're up, and how do you kill out this game? Five minutes. And like, what yeah. is your, yeah. what is their five minute offense in this to, to see a match out? And it's just, it's, it kind of looks like a clown act when we get up that you just never feel in control of anything, unfortunately.
2: Um, I'll, I'll t- talk about Bariel, just, just one thing about him. So he's got, 16 starts this year between league play and U.S. Open Cup. So in all competitions, he's got six goals and four assists. Five if you include MLS assists. Okay. So it's it's been a, it's been a really productive year for for, yeah. for Marial, despite not being, despite you know,
1: not fitting in the system,
2: <laughs> playing in a in his yeah. match. Despite not fitting in the system, despite not getting a lot of minutes early in the season. Although
1: although what although what what it what is new what is Noonan's system? Like we all went into this year and the everyone was convinced he's gonna play a diamond midfield. We're gonna do a diamond midfield. And I, I guess that maybe it's time for us to stop really looking at Pat Noonan as a dude that has a rigid system and there's a system that he wants to play. Cause like to me, evaluating this team through two thirds of the season if there's a word I would use to describe Noonan, it's pragmatic. It's that he looks yep. at what do I have and how am I going to put these people out there to best utilize their talent? Which fucking hell, what a great change of pace from Yap a year ago, where we're just going to keep pounding the square peg into the round hole. And God damn it. One of these things is going to break trying. So, you know, yeah. we say that Bariel doesn't <laughs> have like a place in what they want to do. I, I don't know that that's the case. I just, I, I feel like Pat Noonan. He has a, his vision of the club is whatever gets the job done.
2: Yeah, I. Well, he, I mean, I think it's clear he didn't have a place in what Noonan was trying to do early in the season. Um, when I'm when I'm saying Pat Noonan's system, I mean he doesn't typically use wingers. It, and we we thought he wouldn't use wingers because everyone thought, okay, they're playing the four four two diamond uh, formation. But I think we talked about this before, and I don't think we need to really. Spend a lot of time on it, although you know, anybody else will. Whatever you want to say is fine, but all all I'll say is, I think it's a, I think it's a style, more than a system. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's direct play. It's uh, pressing. Um, You're trying to win the ball back high, Uh, getting the ball up to our our attackers in the attacking third, going right to goal. Right. Not worrying about playing the ball too much. Um, not worrying about like we have to build out of the back or anything like that. It's direct and pressing, right? And then he shuffles personnel around depending on who's available, what the other team is doing.
1: Yeah, and if there's if there's one thing we've seen too, it's that like is that he he adapts on the fly really well. I, I would like to see us come out with a little more piss and vinegar every so often and be ready to go mm-hmm. at what the other team is doing directly. But this team consistently adjusts well at the half, and you know. There's been a lot of games this year, too many to count, where the team has looked awful um, for stretches of the first half, come out look like a completely different team once they make the adjustments to what's going on. So I hope it continues. Yeah. And, and I- my hope is is that as better players come in, that it creates the f- better flexibility for him to play, that he doesn't feel constrained, that I have to game plan around weaknesses, that I can play from strength as opposed to, as opposed to hiding. Like I think Kevin said it. And I agree completely. Soccer is a weak link sport. And so the more, the, the more you can limit your weak links, I think the more it's going to give Noonan the creativity to use some of these players, even, although it's hard to, hard to fathom. We could be more creative on offense, honestly. Like this team right. is right. phenomenally creative on offense.
0: I mean <clears throat> the way I see it right now if if I had to peg uh noon into a particular system if I had to time down to one I think what he would like to play is a 352 with competent center backs anchoring the defense and playing with I don't think this was his, his intention but more wingers than wing backs on the outside of the midfield and what he has been forced to play is a 5-3-2 which is having more defenders on the outside of the back three and relying on the trifecta of Moreno, Obi, and Acosta to boss the midfield. Now we're lucky enough that those three have actually been competent enough to, to hold their own against four-man midfields in this league but uh, with some additional width but i mean i'm thinking like future say i don't know if powell is is guaranteed to be here next year but i mean would anybody be upset with moderita on the left and barrial on the right with another upgrade at center back in the winter i mean you start having an incredibly dangerous team Right now, it's just going to be hard to justify moving away from two strikers when you have Vasquez and Brenner, and you are guaranteed, should you decide to pick up Vasquez's option, which would be insane not to, you're guaranteed to have those two next year as well.
2: I I think we need to play two strikers as long as Brenner and Vasquez yeah. are both on. Yes. I, I mean, you, you've
1: got you to play two strikers now just because you rotate, you're going to have to win some shootouts. I mean, even – I'm excited that Miazga is on his way. Miazga alone is going to make isn't going to fix this defense. He's going to make this defense a lot better, but there are additional issues at play. I think that is going to prevent this from ever being a good defensive team under this formation, under this roster of players. So for the time being, they're going to have to win some shootouts. The hope is is maybe they can hold some of these. It's like a four three or a three two with miazga on the field with better play from that from miazga in the center back position
2: yep completely yeah so maybe i, I have some thoughts on that too but i, I think i'll save them for when we <laughs> yeah. move on to
0: i was gonna say we got to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode we are recording on the transfer deadline day people want to know the matt miazga saga where were we when we heard the news that it was kind of maybe sort of agreed to terms but not really let's get into that part two coming right up And we are talking transfer deadline day. It takes a deadline to get something done. I uh, I appreciate the procrastinator. That is Chris Albright. He gets he gets transfers done like I got homework done all throughout schooling. Uh, no, you wait to the last second and you get the assignment done and uh, you get a half-decent grade for it. Um, gentlemen, we did it. We landed our man. We, we got the Miazga. I think we've been calling for Miazga for two months. Um an uh, enterprising fan. I would love a supercut of every time we asked for him. I was going to join this team. Uh,
1: the only that, player uh, on the allocation order that made sense. This has been the <laughs> most. This has been yeah, the most yeah. obvious transfer target. It probably in MLS history.
0: <laughs> so I guess that's the question, uh, Chief. I've, I've seen some of your takes online. Why did it take so long? Because, like you said, he was the obvious guy the whole way. Why did it take so long?
1: It's frustrating uh, because they needed him in every single match prior to this year and since the start of the window. And they've had the number one spot in the allocation order since the start of the year. They've had it since the start of the the window. I'm sure we'll hear from Albright probably tomorrow at some point because I've been told there'll be an announcement tomorrow. Um, So by the time you're listening to this, that'd be today because time is weird (laughs) um my only guess and this is just a guess is that they were just waiting out chelsea in terms of is chelsea going to find someone that's actually willing to not only pay for miazga but that also miazga could reach personal terms with and if miazga was saying i want to go back to america then it was probably just a standoff between Chelsea, Miazga's people, and FC Cincinnati of, well, what are you going to do with him? Because they let him go on a free. Yep. They let him go on a free. And the only reason you let him go on a free is if you had absolutely no other offers for him, which I find a little hard to believe that they didn't have someone that was out there bidding for him just because you'd heard, I think, Coventry was nibbling around. There were a couple teams allegedly in the Dutch leagues that were, were nibbling around. Um,
2: yeah, but I think, I think the issue you may run into, and so I'm assuming, I'm taking what's been reported about the deal at face value, right? I've seen people speculating, like, well, maybe there's some escalators built in or some, um, you know, sell-on percentage, although I don't know, like... Who thinks that they're going to sell on Matt Miazga for any? No, he's done like, like real value. Is his, MLS like is his home from this point you know, forward, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, maybe there's maybe there's like intra league trades or something. I'm not knocking the guy, but he's you know he's 27, and he's not really panned out in the top league. Um,
1: although, no, I sound <laughs> like I'm knocking the guy. <laughs> um,
2: no, but I think, but I think, but I think it's a very plausible scenario that yeah, there's teams interested. Maybe Chelsea had gotten some offers with a small with a small transfer fee, but he was on I think close a to a million dollars at Chelsea. Yeah. Um and so maybe he's not getting maybe he's not getting like more money, and maybe these teams are offering him less money, right? So he's not agreeing right. to go to Coventry because they want to pay him eight hundred thousand dollars or six hundred thousand dollars or something. And he knows he can get at least a TAM contract from MLS, right? So FC Cincinnati says we'll give you we'll give you a max TAM deal, and that's you know that's beating the market at a salary level. And you know Chelsea spends the entire window shopping him. They don't get any offers that both you know. Give them what they're looking for in a transfer fee, and that Miazga will, will agree to right. on a salary yeah. level. And you get to you get to today. The Premier League starts tomorrow. The MLS transfer window closes today. They can't loan him out, and they need to move him before the season. And this is the only move he'll agree to. FC and Miazga both waited out Chelsea, and they got a deal done that made both of them happy and got a player that Chelsea didn't want off their books. That's an entirely plausible scenario for me. I don't think you need to add in side deals or Palace intrigue to make that make sense.
1: I don't know that you need to add in Palace intrigue, but I do think there's two points here. Number one, that um, the dollars that you're talking about for Miazga for a transfer deal, that's a rounding error in Chelsea's books. Like They deal in the... They deal in the eight, nine figures when they're talking about things, and if you were really just talking about a million dollars on a transfer deal or two million dollars on a transfer deal for Miazga, that's not impacting their financial fair play status by, by any stretch of the imagination. And financial fair play is bullshit anyway, so who gives a fuck? Um, if you want to talk about one thing where I think Palace intrigue may play into this just a smidge, is that Chelsea's owned by an American owner now. Um it's not owned by Abramovich anymore. He's off dealing with his bloody buddy Vlad. They're super yachting or doing whatever it is they do now. But uh, the, the new Chelsea ownership group is American. And I don't wonder if, if you, there isn't something to an idea that the, the Chelsea board, now owned by an American, was more willing to let Miazga go back home to America for nothing than to sit on this and sell him someplace else for the good of the American game and for doing an American player a solid. I I, I don't know how involved, because I'm not I'm not experienced enough working for a Premier League team to know this, as to how involved ownership would ever get at a deal like this. But if if there was ever one where I could see them just taking an L to get an American back to American soil, now with an American owning the team, maybe there's something to that. I don't know.
2: Another thing I, I think is worth acknowledging is that People like to hate on MLS mechanisms, but we got this deal only because of MLS mechanisms. There is no you had way, the allocation spot. Yes. We were the only. We could block Matt Miazga from going to any other MLS team. We were the only MLS team he could negotiate with. Um, Albright held on to the top allocation spot all year, according to Tom Bogert and you know anybody who can connect the dots about what's going on in front of their eyes. He was specifically waiting out Matt Miaska. And with our with our cap situation, I don't think there's like enough and we we talked about this on other episodes, how there's, you know, hundreds of center backs around the world who can come in and improve this team. But I don't think you get somebody who you view one as a long-term option, two, is at a good age. You know, he's getting into his prime years as a center back, three is, you know, at his level, and four, you could bring in on a free transfer and fit into into the space you had, right? Without yeah, making like a, multiple big outward you know, movements, right? We didn't have this to is, move Brenner
1: this is to get in. Almost like the, this is almost like the perfect use of the allocation spot. Yep, like if absolutely. MLS was to have a, like a, why do we have the allocation order the way it is? It is specifically for this kind of a deal. It's for a team that um went through hell last year, had a horseshit roster, and it's kind of like the NFL. You get the number one draft pick for being the worst. Well, the number one draft pick doesn't really mean a ton in MLS compared to other years. No offense to Roman doing great. Love the kid. But like <laughs> but this right here. The top spot in the allocation order that nets you a player at a position of need in a way that you can fit into your budget onto your salary where you don't have to be bidding against somebody else to get him. That's in a domestic contract spot. So you don't even need another international spot to sign him. This is, this is an, an MLS roster rules bullshit success story. This is, this is Don Garber yes. pats himself on the back for this. Like, yes, this is why we continue to have these stupid fucking rules is because right here, a team that needed a player got the player they wanted off the list of players they could select from. This is this will keep this rule around for another decade, I think.
0: And let's be real. If the rule didn't exist here, good to be playing for the New York Red Bulls. Probably already would have been playing for them for a few weeks now. Um, so, yeah, he was... It's definitely great that FC Cincinnati was able to get him and I do think he is uniquely the center back that perfectly matches what this team needs right now. I mean, Grayson, you mentioned it. He He's, he's actually like sneaky young. He's three years younger than Aaron Long, who I think most people would have considered a major coup if we could have picked him up in the offseason last year. He's younger than him. He could very well Walker Zimmerman or, uh, Oh gosh. What's the, uh, Miles Robinson, his way onto a world cup roster spot. Maybe not this year, but looking at the 2026 world cup, uh, could play his way into the national team picture very, very easily. Um, And he he instantly becomes our best center back. I think because he didn't pan out at Chelsea, people undervalue his career. He was very good in France and very good in the Netherlands where he won silverware. Um, If he wasn't on loan from Chelsea through his European career, I think most people would have seen him as a very successful European story. And the fact that we are getting him would feel a little bit more like when Michael Bradley left Roma for Toronto or Dempsey to Seattle, where you go, hey, wait a second, these guys had a few more prime years in them before they came back to the U.S. This is kind of a big move. So I'm, I'm extremely happy. And I think it's probably fair to, to point this out right now. Um, he's, he's probably not the end-all, be-all savior of this team, we probably don't instantly become a top five team overnight. He will have center back partners, probably plural, who have proven to struggle <laughs> this year in MLS. So I do hesitate to put a lot of expectations on him, but it's hard not to get hyped. He comes in here as our number one center back. Am I wrong in thinking he's the instant number one and it's not particularly close? Here's, here's
2: my here's my expectation for him, sorry. If we score three goals in a game, more often than not we win that game. I'm not asking Tim <laughs> God. I'm not asking him to make us a top top defense in major league soccer. I am asking him yeah. you know, we've tied four games. No wait. We've tied two games four to four? Yes. And two games lost four two four. games four to three. And then we've got some like three to two games in there and stuff. I mean, we had plenty of games where we put enough we put up enough goals that even a you know below mediocre defensive team wins the game. Yes, right. And so that's and that's all my
1: expectation is. The the, the important yeah. part is, is the expectation that that I have is is similar to Grayson. But what makes this deal, I guess if you had to say it was worth waiting for, was that they didn't have to bring him in on a DP deal and if they got him on a Max Tam deal. And if that's what they were waiting out, if they were waiting out Chelsea to make sure that they got this as a Tam deal, that they didn't have to like get rid of Brenner in order to, and sell Brenner at a loss right now versus allowing Mm. him to keep playing and build his value back up. Like that's when Albright talks about, it was frustrating. It was fucking frustrating that he wasn't here at the start of the window. And You can't get those games back. You just can't. And I hate to say it, but when it comes to October and decision day hits, I'm deathly afraid we're going to be looking back to those games in this last run from the start of the window and wishing we would have picked up three or four more points out of some of these draws he could have been present for. But undoubtedly going forward, it is better for this team with Matt Miazga on a three-year contract at a high TAM level than having him occupying barely a DP spot to fill an area of need, and 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 so, to me, that's the story out of this: is that a? I it just I don't know. I haven't I don't care enough to do the research, but it, it feels somewhat unprecedented that someone comes back off the allocation list and they're not making DP money um, on the number one spot. I don't think it feels like that happens. A, is that? I think a lot of guys on? come back
2: and they're, they're not making. Not I guess you're
1: always on the. De- I guess you're on the downside. I mean, R- Richie Lare- Larea of the time. is
2: coming back from from Belgium, and his his salary was reported at say- like one point one million dollars.
0: Yeah, I think uh, as a is it fair to call him a regular U.S. men's national team? Not I, today. I mean, there was a point anymore. where he he looked like the future, but no, is a uh, a, sem- a semi regular for the national team coming back. I think is a little different than. a a peruvian that was sold off who who comes back something like that um no i i think it's probably worth pointing out we don't have the exact details of the deal right now i saw espn was reporting a three and a half year deal it does look like he's getting a max tam deal so his salary will be in the six hundred thousand dollar range no one point one point six million dollars one point max tam 1.6 One point six million. Max Tam is one point yeah. six. It's ladies, the max budget charge,
2: plus a million dollars.
0: We finally, we finally have a center back making more than Tyler Blackett. We did it. We did it. It is.
2: I think I saw Laurel on Twitter say, and I'll, and if she's saying it, I think it's probably right. She said it's a three and a half guaranteed deal, um, and an option year. So potentially, f- okay. potentially four and a half, four and a half years. Although. You know, what's the salary? So it's... The reporting I saw is that it's maxed tam through the guaranteed term. I don't know what the... I haven't seen anything about what the option would be at. So if the option would make it a DP or not, Do you think
1: that on the first day of training that Lucho is going to walk up to Miazga and do the height thing, except with salary? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like you're going to talk about height, but I'm going to talk about what I'm making, and I'm up here.
0: (laughs) Oh... So good. And
1: then Miaska's so going to grab him right in the nuts, and it's going to be a fight. <laughs> Miaska can't grab him other in the nuts. He can't reach.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. He would not grab. He would
1: honk. Honk. If we remember honk. our verb.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, like, this, cha- this, this, this move, this changes everything about the window. And it, it, it was mm. everything that was a problem the last time we recorded – You know, everything fell into place. It's like, this is why you were holding on to the allocation spot. This is why you cleared out the... I'm assuming, I don't know, you know, we'll get Ken with the spreadsheets or something like that, but I'm assuming (laughs) that every move they have made was to clear enough money to fit him on the books prorated for this year, because it's going to be close on a Max-Tam deal for like what he's owed for a third of that for the remaining like one-third of games. So like everything was about making this move and getting this move on the books right here. I still don't think the Santos deal makes a ton of sense, but at the very least we know now that that deal didn't prevent us from getting the home run higher in terms of a center back. Because if you're going to bring someone back, what are you looking for? You're looking for max TAM talent. You're looking for domestic. You're looking to not have to get rid of someone else and make your team weaker elsewhere to bring him on, and from that standpoint, Miazga's the home run here, and that moves yeah. the window from a what the fuck to all right, good bit of business. Let's see where we go from here.
2: Yeah, and if, if you if now, you bring in Miazga a couple games ago, you know, yes, we could have used him. a couple games ago, right? But if move bringing him in a couple games ago means you have to sell Brenner, um, I'm much happier staring down the stretch run with both. Brenner and Miazga on the team than, you know, just Miazga and no Brenner.
0: It's also probably worth pointing out, to be fair to Mr. Albright, that that run of where they were doing the staring contest with Chelsea also coincided with a very unfortunate three game suspension of Lucho Acosta. And you don't wonder if with Acosta, there was a win there that, that didn't happen, or a draw there that didn't happen, and we're in a much much better position. But Chief, you brought this up. I've, I've got to bring this up. The uh, the club was clearing space. They were they were shaving every dollar that they could. Harris Madunyanin. Is gone. He is somebody that I think most people were sh- surprised—dare I say, shocked—to see come back this season. He has absolutely been depth, but he's also been really good depth. Does his departure change? I mean, the outlook of this team. I don't want to say it like that, but it feels like this team is missing something in midfield now. Am I? Am I wrong in thinking that?
1: No. I, I mean, I think that there is going to be a point this season where this team is going to miss Harris Madunian. And it's not going to be, you know, because he's not available to start. It's just that those minutes that he gives, part of the whole idea about closing games out and why this team is poor at closing games out is that they're, they're very thin. And there's not a lot of mm-hmm. great options for Noonan to go to late in games with fresh legs, with people that he can trust to kill a game off. And Madunian is a guy where you can bring him in repeatedly in the 70th minute, 75th minute, No, he's going to give you competent minutes out there, not fuck things up, um, and actually probably play pretty damn well in those limited runs of th- games. It's the price you have to pay to get room for Miazga, I'll bet, so it's a trade you just sort of have to make. But yeah, they're going to miss that kind of depth. I think that kind of depth is what separates um, the teams that are good and like lurking around the middle of the playoff line to teams that are firmly above the playoff line is having that quality to bring in. And that's just something that we're going to have to do without until some of these awful contracts come off the books in the in the winter and they can build the depth back up with some of the uh, the money they free up.
2: Speaking of awful contracts, yeah. I, I, I'm i not going to miss in that much. I'm not saying he has an awful contract. I can't say enough good things about Harris in and the kind of professional he's been through some really tough times with his team. But I think that our two really bad contracts, Kubo and Cruz, um, can probably give us whatever we need out of those depth spots in the midfield. Um, if you look, you know, just as an example of what those guys, of what Kubo can bring, um, against Nashville, there was that moment right after our goal where Brandon almost got another goal really fast. The, uh, Pass that Kubo made, leading up to his shot, was incredible. Like it was, it was, a, it was just an incredible pass. And I think that he has it in his game, you know, to make line breaking passes, to be a good midfielder in possession. Um, and if you need somebody to play more aggressively to ball win, Kubo can do that a little bit. Cruz is probably your option. Your option there, and you know, like. These guys have big contracts and we know they have, we know they have good play in them, right? And I'm confident that for the rest of the year, they can give us, um, enough cover in the midfield, assuming Moreno doesn't get hurt again. Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not not feeling, I don't think Harris Medina's absence, um, on the field is going to be that big of a deal.
0: So let me ask you this: What do you think is more likely that we have a midnight midfielder signing, uh, and I'll, I'll 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 give myself midnight to September second, which is when you can still sign unattached, unaffiliated players, or Robleto gets a sizable chunk of minutes or inherits Medunjanin's midfield minutes. Which which do you think is more likely at this point?
2: Robleto getting significant minutes at you know,
1: late yeah. games, I think. I think they're going to add It'll somebody. Interesting. I think they're going to add somebody.
2: Ooh.
1: I don't know. Ooh. It's. Um. I think that that's a that there's going to be an opportunity to bring somebody in who doesn't get a contract through the Euro season. I think we have one international spot clear now, I think. I think, we have, wrong th- on that? I think we have three. We have
0: three or four. All right. yeah. Yeah. So
1: we at least have one, we at least have the international spots to do it, and I would not be surprised at all if we go dumpster diving for someone who finds themselves out a spot somewhere over in Europe. Um, I don't think that the, uh, it's one of those things where it's been mentioned a couple of times by people that cover this team that, you know, don't focus on the transfer deadline day. There's also the roster freeze date. I feel like that's not coming from nowhere. That, yeah. That there's been some chatter around the club that maybe some of us that are not as plugged in as people think we are um, may have heard <laughs> that there may be some opportunities for the club to do something there. Just because the once you once you get beyond the Harris-Medunian level, it's just so desperately thin on who they're bringing in. You're talking about bringing in like Archimedes or Doniez, or you're talking about bringing in like Nick Marcanic and. I, I think that that they have the if they have the opportunity to do it I think they will they will go and they will add somebody else uh, before the end of the, the rosters freeze in September.
2: That that person's not not going to be our savior though. I mean,
1: no, not at all. Whoever no, that
2: no, is. Uh,
0: oh, what? Wait, wait. Jurgen Lakadia? Huh? Huh? Unattached?
1: Yeah, on a <laughs> on a league minimum deal plus all the DJ sets he wants to do at the Hard Rock Casino. <laughs>
0: I mean, wouldn't he love an opportunity to come back for $200,000? Just a six-month contract.
1: I don't think they've got the 200000 to give
0: him. <laughs> Surely uh, the the team in Turkey that is picking up some of Isaac Atanga's salary has, has freed up enough space for one, uh, LaCardia. Um, which also, one too. Which, which uh, also uh, like Isaac, Isaac
1: how the hell did they convince somebody to take him? Good God.
0: <laughs> I do worry that we are still eating a massive portion of that, uh, of that salary. Unfortunately. We have to be, but yeah, I, I mean, he was well-regarded in Europe is, is the, the thing that I kept hearing over and over again. He came up through a great Academy that has produced a, a fair number of pros around Europe. Um, there's no reason to think that a change of scenery couldn't help. Um, there's been a handful of these guys that, I mean, this may be a bit much, but they they feel traumatized from the Stom era. I'll throw Alan Cruz in that as well. It's like these were good young players coming over to the U.S. Uh, from places abroad and then just were dropped into one of the shittiest team environments ever and i think it
2: broke them sounds like the third season of star trek discovered
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering i was wondering if one of you assholes is going to bring it to star trek
1: <laughs> i mean i said it on twitter uh, that was nice the pl- if we hadn't if we hadn't if we hadn't signed anyone this episode was uh-huh. just going to be grayson and i debating star trek versus the orville while kevin sat quietly in the background <laughs>
0: Uh, and I even subscribe to Paramount Plus, and I, I have not watched very much, if at all, uh, Star Trek. So, damn, I'm probably wasting my money there.
1: You, sir, will not <laughs> live long and prosper.
0: <laughs> I know that is true. Um, is there anything else we want to touch on with Deadline Day? It does appear that uh, everybody else in MLS seem to be getting their deals done. Everybody's bringing in really good players. It's hard not to be jealous at. Almost every single edition that I've seen come across my all, Twitter feed in the all last ta-
1: days. All TAM deals, too. Like, all the big yes. deals this deadline day are all TAM deals, which makes me wonder exactly who's doing the accounting for all of this shit. And whether it, it was, Is, I mean, it's like, it's this weird yeah. fucking dilemma that the league has where, like, you have two choices as MLS. A good player wants to come play for LA, Miami, or New York, or they don't want to come to MLS. And as MLS, you can either say, no, we don't want this good player in our league, or we're going to bend rules to allow you to go to New York, Miami, or L.A., and Don Garber is hammering the fuck out of the B button right there.
0: <laughs> Grayson, you might you might be able to speak to this better. Um, I am absolutely putting you on the spot, but does this transfer deadline day, is this happening later in the season than normal so that the – the sort of prorated salary is less than in years past. It, it the TAM deals, the number of TAM deals does strike me as suspicious. I, I wonder if that was part so of what was happening
2: here. It, I I, I not looked at this, but that would make sense to me. And because I don't think the date, I don't think the date of the window cut off is that much earlier than it was last year, if at all. If at all, I think like the window cut off last year Agreed. was like August eighth. Or, or thereabouts, yeah. but remember, the season is ending like a month sooner than last because year of because Cup. of the World Cup. So, yeah, it's very possible that there are you know a handful of games fewer to go to the rest of the season than there are in a typical year, and yeah, that does um, that does affect how the play- how these players come in to hit the cap. Right, I mean, it certainly helps with with Miazga.
1: It'll be interesting to see in yeah. the in the winter window now when uh, Albright has to do a lot of business. That teams loading up on TAM deals now in the summer. Every dollar you spend now is one less dollar you have to spend under the cap. Theoretically, they just make this shit up as they go well, along. So, ga- but- Galaxy is
2: Galaxy <laughs> is interesting because um, so they got they got Puig, right? Um, He's yeah, on like right. he's on like four million dollars at Barcelona, but if that's you know prorated to less than a third of the season, that's only like one point three million dollars. That's a tam contract, right? Right. Um, and I think I think Chicharito is out of contract this year, so they have um, Costa and uh, Cabral on longer term oh. deals, but they do have Chicharito coming off the books if they need to if they need to make you know, Puig a DP, right? Um, and they also, yeah. I don't know how, I, I there maybe there's also the potential, since he's technically on loan until June, they don't have to make the decision on whether he's a DP right away. No, I think that they would, though, because I think it's because he'd be a full season hit right away. So I think the answer for Galaxy yeah. is, right, like, you let Chicharito go, and there's your right. three DPs. Um, the other stuff, I like. I, I you go crazy trying to figure out how like this guy <laughs> is coming in as a, as a tan player for you know all these teams all over the place, or how Miami seems to still be able to be making a lot of moves despite being theoretically under sanctions. So I try not to get two in the two in the weeds, except for that thing with Atlanta. Where like I swear to God, Atlanta has had five DPs, and everyone is just looking.
0: Everyone is just <laughs> looking away. Uh, for what it's worth, if Matt Miazga was making one more dollar a year, MLS's website would have us with six DPs. So right. consider Which, that one. And for I, I a said moment. this.
1: I said this online too. That like if the only thing standing between Matt Miazga getting here and was just like some bullshit like fifty bucks or amortizing the transfer (laughs) fee differently. It was time for Carl Linder to pick the fucking phone up and call the league and say, it's time for us to get one of these look-the-other-way TAM deals on this. And you know what? For all I know, and for all any of us know, that phone call happened, and that's the reason why Matt is here on a TAM deal. So
0: (laughs) Maybe. there. I mean, there is a reason why MLS refuses to publish teams' uh, allocation money totals. And it is because of exactly that that they're happy as long as teams stay within. And hell, there might even be a secret league handbook that says you're allowed to be within ten percent of your salary budget, uh, assuming you get league approval or some something bullshit like that. Well,
2: yeah, and I I, I guarantee you there is. And the yeah. the reason I think this is one, um, they don't publish the the TAM amounts that they give each team. I think they publish like a minimum amount, like every team will get at least this much, but it's totally discretionary. And then also, if you look at the uh, collective bargaining agreement, MLS there's a there's a management management rights clause in there, and MLS retains like vast amounts of discretion regarding setting the roster rules, regarding how many designated players there be regarding the use of allocation money regarding like salary caps and things like that. Although, so, so there is, um, there's a ton, a ton of flexibility that MLS has. So like, you know, I do my best and I go like, like all of us go to the roster rules and regulations webpage. Right. And you try to make, you try to make sense of it, you know, but that is just an abstract. That is not the actual rules. (laughs) that govern the mls rosters
0: <laughs> right and only the gms and probably the owners um actually know what the rules of the league are and yeah the the it's cba like, has like always pi- left like that the, open yeah
1: it's like the pirates code it's more of some suggestions <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes it's, it's, guidelines really um yeah, I've one. I've always hated that they never published anything, and that's that to me always told me that it was absolutely bullshit. When you hear things like "Oh, we had to pay fifty thousand dollars for this guy's discovery rights," I even doubt that teams are paying that. My guess is the league is paying that out of a league kitty. Like it doesn't even begin to make sense that teams would have to be paying each other for that. But that's sort of the the wink and the nod of the league of like, oh look, we're actually doing this and. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of like labor implications with that of like trading players without their consent and stuff. So as long as MLS can be MLS and separate the league from that, they can they can keep playing with these dumb rules. So fun times. Um, well, so I know we've I know we've yeah, tempered no, Grayson, I know please. we've
2: tempered expectations about the impact that Matt Matt Meowsky is going to
0: have. Oh, we yes, let's type okay. it. Let's go.
2: But. One thing I think everyone needs to make clear is we talked earlier in this, in this uh, episode about the Pat Noonan style, right? The high-pressing system that parallels teams like Philadelphia Union and New York Red Bulls. Matt Miazga is a New York Red Bulls homegrown player. He made his bones as a center back with Red Bulls. He was fourth in MLS Defender of the Year voting at like 19 years old. Playing for the Red Bulls. Uh, he played so well for the Red Bulls that Chelsea offered him a contract and paid a, you know, five million dollar transfer fee based on his play in a high pressing system. And he turned down a DP contract with Red Bulls um, to go to go to Europe. So I think that there's a lot of a lot of reason to believe that you get him back into MLS, you get him back the system that he was trained under under that he made his name under that he got his first national team caps under. And there's a very good chance that this turns into, you know, the signing of the season. And we're looking at a best 11 defender of the year type player.
1: And if nothing else, maybe he brings a little bit of that Red Bulls energy where when we need to kill a game off, he'll flop around like a dead fish on the fucking field and maybe teach this team how to kill a game (laughs) off or two.
0: That too. <laughs> it would be a useful skill. Does the Miazga signing give either of you more hope for this season? I'll phrase it this way: Was was Miazga the difference between winning a playoff game and not winning a playoff game? Very the easily between be. making
1: the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Honestly, okay. Like I think that I think that with Miazga, I think this team at least rides the line on the playoff in or out until decision day. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination this is now a guaranteed playoff team, but they're in the conversation a hell of a lot longer with someone like Matt Miazga playing 80, 90 minutes a week than they were with Tyler Blackett and Jeff Cameron playing 80, 90 minutes a week. No doubt in my mind.
2: And I I think it puts us in the position where, while we're not guaranteed to make the playoffs, we can we can honestly say that it would be disappointing not to make the playoffs. Agreed. I think that does it
0: for, uh, for the old part two. Uh, part three, we're going we're gonna to try our hand at a, at a something that looks like a preview. I don't want to get people's hopes real high here, but this is going to come out basically on a Friday. It's awfully close to a Saturday game day. Let's talk a little bit about this Philadelphia Union game.
2: The Harris Medunion and (laughs) Testimonial.
0: We're back. Part three, and yes, we are talking the Harris-Majungian testimonial. Grayson, I'm going to steal your joke because I'm going to cut your joke to make my intro. (laughs) That's how we're doing it here. This is pirate radio, literally and figuratively.
1: (laughs) Got a Carlos Mencia over here. (laughs)
0: Maybe I'll just splice in you saying the joke where I said it. It won't make any sense to anybody. Uh, No, we've got a match on Saturday, tomorrow, when you're probably listening to this. Uh, It is, in fact, going to be the last match we see. Harris Madunyan, he did play his entire MLS career in Philadelphia and Cincinnati. He made, was he over 100 appearances for us? No, he couldn't have been over 100 appearances, but a good number of appearances for for old FC Cincinnati the last few years. He saw the depths of this team, and at this point, he has seen the highs of this team. It wasn't too hard, but he saw both of those. Um, yeah, everybody seems to really like this guy. He's headed back home. He's got a young kid in the Netherlands. Yes, he is a Bosnian uh, and Herzegovina, am I pronouncing that right, international, but he did grow up in the Netherlands as a... Uh, as a... Immigrant refugee I I don't know the exact a, situation. I believe Nobody he was
2: a war a, refugee from the war refugee. from refugees. the nineties uh, thing he, that happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, I always I always point this out. Whoever I bring to the game, Madunginen, born in Yugoslavia, which is hard to imagine for a professional athlete that you're watching in 2022. But that is uh, where he was born. No, he had a couple of caps for the Dutch uh, youth national teams, in fact, uh, before making that senior switch over to Bosnia. But um, it's going to be sad to see him go. How do we feel about this game, Chief? And do we see Matt Miazga?
1: No. We don't see Matt Miazga. Um, I think that would be overly aggressive because I think that probably best case scenario is that he arrived in Cincinnati when we're taping tonight on Thursday for a Friday reveal. Um, I would have loved to have seen Matt Miazga in this game because Philadelphia's offense is terrifying. I mean, they have the ability. They <laughs> have. You want to talk about a team that can run the score up real quick on you? What they beat DC the other day, like seven nothing, I think. So they beat D.C. Nothing? 7 six nothing seven like
2: nothing. five games ago, and they beat Houston 6 nothing.
1: Yeah, but this game. is a game – like, this is one of those games where I, I have to shut my brain off as a fan. I got – we got our player. We got Matt Miazga. That was the real win here. And if they get anything out of this game, I'll be thrilled. I, the only thing I'm looking for out of this game is don't get the shit beat out of you because I think there's a real possibility they can get the shit beat out of them in this game.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that is is a big piece of this. I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised to see FC Cincinnati lose this one, but I don't know. We played them to a draw in their place. Is, Grayson, is there room for optimism here? Could we have Philly's number?
2: I do think that there's room for optimism, and we, we tied them in Philadelphia one-to-one. Remember, Lucho didn't play that game. Lucha, that was Lucho's COVID game. So, um, without Lucho, we went over to their place, and despite what at the goalkeeper says, uh, we outplayed them. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: that's right. Forgot
2: about that. So, like, that's Shitty a giddy headline extraordinaire. We should have beat, I mean, we could have, I, I, I don't want to say should, we could could easily have beaten them at their place without Lucho in the yes. game. Um, I would say this is a game where I don't mind if, if, Waboto takes his takes his yellow card and serves a suspension the next game I think this is a game that that <laughs> you, he might he might need to do that to to preserve a result um yeah and you saying you know oh Philly beat DC seven nothing they beat Houston six nothing yeah they're just using up all their goals you know oh, is that team, how it works yeah because teams you know it's... teams teams only score so many goals a year and most teams are you know most even good teams or like within a you know reasonable uh, range of each other. So it's unless- like that
1: Donald Trump thing where the heart only has so yeah. many beats in it, so there's no point working out. Because that's also you're just true. Using up your heartbeats early.
0: That's also true. Firmly that's, believe that's- that.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> it's also
2: like in uh, baseball where you, you don't want to use up all your runs. You know you don't want oh, win- yeah, to spread be- them out a little bit. You don't be winning games ten to two because it- it's all a game of averages. So unless you think Philly is going to score. You know, six goals a game on average. So they're, they're due
1: for like a negative five goal result here to balance yes. out the five goal total.
2: Yes,
0: absolutely. Hey, we've seen a team give up what was it three own goals, and I think that
2: was us. So yeah, no, yeah, uh, we're very familiar with that concept. And you know what? You know what else you do? <laughs> it is possible. You know what you do is um, you you kind of hint that Miazga might play, right? Get in there get in there. Have him out there bit. jogging around. Yeah, yeah have them like in this. There jogging around, right? Um and then, you know, maybe you say like, maybe we're gonna switch up to Alec Khan this game. I mean, you've got to do something like mind games, you know. They had Evan Lauro in camp. Philly doesn't want that smoke. Um because they haven't they, they haven't <laughs> seen that guy. That's a goal that's a goalie that they don't even know. You know, they haven't they haven't they've, they've played tough. against this guy. They don't know they don't know what he's got up his sleeve. They're maybe all more, somebody to somebody in the middle believe.
1: Maybe have someone call Ernst Tanner's hotel room the night before and claim to be from MLS Internal Affairs and investigating his previous statements, slandering the league.
0: <laughs> the, I mean, this just makes me think that uh, Sergio Santos is getting the start on Saturday. That's that's the uh, that's the mind fuck that we need. And so that would be. And
2: what team knows Philadelphia better <laughs> than us? We got we got Noonan. We got Gaddis. We got Meduna. We got Santos. We got I mean, we
1: kind of got, Jim kind curtains. of. Kind of got Madunian in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we kind of have Sergio Santos while we're at it. Um, but no, uh, Jim Curtin's going to be our next uh, chief soccer uh, officer. So, uh, I mean, bring him on and just leave Jim behind. It'll be perfect. Um, predictions for the game? Do we want to give a scoreline here before we wrap up?
1: Uh, give me a 2-2 draw. That's me feeling Ooh. optimistic on that one. 4-2.
2: to two. Four to two, the FC. Ooh. Okay, um,
0: I'll I'll split your guys' difference. I'll go three three draw. That feels that feels possible. So there you have it. If one yeah, of if you the guys are going to be putting ties, we're
2: not going to be doing any, any more of these previews.
0: <laughs> I mean, hey, it's Philadelphia. <laughs> they do nothing but draw or score a hundred goals. You don't get bonus it's points. It's for being we do right. nothing
1: but draw or concede late in games. It's you don't get bonus points for being fair or right. Right, it's we're like not, when a semi-movable f- <laughs> force meets a semi-immovable object. We're this is the result be, right here.
2: We're here to be fans, man. We're here to. We're here to. All right, we All love right. our team. We love our boys. You don't talk we folks? me into
0: a a Matt Miazga late game substitution. Sees out a three-two victory for the orange and blue. There you go. There's your prediction. Brand, I think-
1: Brandon Vasquez scores three goals, and then Matt Miazga, still in street clothes, runs up to Jim Curtin and grabs him by the testicles.
2: And electric. <laughs> Nick
1: Haglund will finally get his goal this game.
2: <laughs> Ooh,
0: I love it. Oh, there we go. Well, guys, I, I think that's going to do it for our transfer deadline day. So this worked out really well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I don't, I never know how to end these things.
2: Goodbye. Nice listening. Fuck Columbus. <laughs> we should also sign Ali Bedoya as a free fun. agent in the offseason. <laughs> Woo, let's go.